The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning. A few weeks ago, after our elder leader chip away, I stood up on Sunday and said, I had no idea what you were going to get that day because I was up until 11.15 the night before. Um, Well, the good news is I was not up until 11.15 last night, and I feel like I know exactly uh, today what's going to happen. Um, what What I'm counting on today, actually, what I'm living in anticipation of today, I've been in anticipation of all week long. I've been counting on that God is going to Um, work in us today. As Dustin alluded to and as Shane talked about, like there are lots of things going on right now um, in our culture and in our country, and I'm excited to hear what God has for us in the midst of this. And if you are, if you're on our Facebook group, some of what I'm going to talk about today, you've probably seen some little threads of over the last few weeks. And one of the things I, I want you to know in that is over the last 18 years or so since I've been in ministry, I have often had people, whether they were students when I was in student ministry or adults when, I've had the oppor- when I had the opportunity to preach when I was in um, student ministry or doing this, I've had people ask me after the message if I was talking about them. Like, literally, I'll have someone come up to me and say, were you talking about me today? Were you talking to me today in your sermon? And over the years, my answer to that has always been the same. It's, no, I wasn't talking to you, but I think God was. And I would encourage you to listen to what he has to say and to act upon it. When your heart is moved... It's called conviction. And 1 John 3.20 says this, Even when we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. So one of the things that we can kind of take away from that text is, if when we feel conviction from God, we want to take that conviction to God and recognize that he is, great, and that he is greater than our feelings. He's greater than our feelings of separation from him, and what he wants to do is forgive us of our sins. And these are, these are moments for us to give in to the invitation to go to God with our sin, to confess our sins to him, and then find forgiveness and receive forgiveness from him. So what I don't want you to do this morning is I don't want you, I don't want you to stifle the Spirit, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to harden your heart. I don't want you to sear your conscience. I want you to lean in. I want you to press in, and I want you to give up whatever selfishness we have to deal with in our lives. We want to give that up to God today, and I believe this is an opportunity for you to do that. Last week in the Never Too Late class, we were watching this video about what it's like to be a parent with adult children and wanting to encourage faith in your adult child. And one of the things that Rob Reno said in this video um, that I hadn't ever heard him say before, um, he said, this is not because of anything I might say. So this conviction 
that, that we might feel on a Sunday morning or in small group or Wednesday night. This conviction is, is not because of anything that we as leaders might say, but it is completely dependent on what God is saying to you. I don't want you to be moved to repent of sin because of something that I've said. I want you to be moved to repent of sin because the word of God is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts through soul and spirit, able to divide bone and marrow. See, God's word reveals our innermost thoughts. And this is such a good thing for us. What would it be like for us to learn to love conviction of the Holy Spirit? Not so that we would be mired in our guilt, mired in self-pity, but to receive conviction so we could take it to God and allow him to do something with it. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're just going to read two verses out of this text today. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you, if you have any questions about the message, you can send a text to uh, 307-316-2023. We tackle those thoughts and questions every Tuesday you know, on our church Facebook page. Let's pray. God, we want to hear from you today. We want to see your heart, and we want to hear you speak to us. Your word is true, and your word is truth. God, your word is sufficient and enough for us. We ask that you would help us to increase our trust in you this morning. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Jesus tells a story of a man who has two sons. He has an older son and a younger son. And one day the younger son comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance. I want my portion of the inheritance now. So this father gives him his portion of the inheritance. He divides the inheritance early, and he gives both sons their portion of their inheritance. And the young son then goes off to another country, where essentially um, he does whatever he wants to do. He spends all of his money, wastes it all on drinking and parties and all sorts of revelry that we, that we imagine people do when they live for themselves. It's exactly what this son does. And he finds himself without money, and then a famine comes upon the land, and he is working in a hog yard for someone. And things are so bad in his life that he's having to eat the pea pods. He's having to eat the same kind of food that the pigs were eating. Well, one day he has this, he has this awakening he has this epiphany, and he realizes that, that he needs to go home. And he realizes that um, the people, his father's servants, are eating better than he does. So he, imagine he gets up and he kind of cleans himself off a little bit, and he starts walking home. And the entire journey, he's thinking about what he's going to say to his father. How he's going to ask for mercy and plead for grace and just tell his father, I, just, I will work for you. I will, I will serve you. I just want to be home. I'm not worthy of any kind of mercy or kindness or forgiveness that you might have for me. And as he gets close to home, the father sees 
his youngest son. And he runs outside, puts his coat around him, tells his other servants to to find his signet ring so he can put on his son's hand and gather together everyone and they're going to have this huge party for the youngest son who had come home. The oldest son hears all of this going on and one of the servants says, your younger brother is home. And this infuriates the older brother who makes it home, pulls his father aside and says, what? What is going on here? I have been faithful to you without question. I've done every single thing you've asked me to do. I've never asked you, in fact, for anything. Why are you treating my brother, your youngest, in this way? Why are you showering him with mercy and grace that he doesn't deserve? And the father says something amazing. He says, well... My son was lost, but now he's found. What are we supposed to do when this happens? There are three characters in this story. And I wonder, with whom do you most identify when you listen to that story? Let's read 1 Timothy 5, verse 24. Remember, The sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. This verse has been on my mind over the last month or so as as I've interacted with different people and different situations here at Westway Christian Church. And it manages... It manages to provide both comfort and literally to scare the hell out of me depending on which day I'm reading this text. It manages to do both things. It comforts me because we live in a world in which people seemingly get away with whatever they want to do. Isn't that the world that we live in? We observe people and they just get away With everything. And in fact, it seems like some of these people are rewarded for their sinfulness. We see all of these wrongs going on around us and we cry out to God for justice and mercy. We want to see people punished for their sins. And all too often, there's no justice. We don't witness what God is doing in these people's lives. And it doesn't doesn't seem right and it doesn't make any sense because these people are so obvious in their sinfulness. And one of the things that we can learn from this text, from a comforting standpoint, is what Paul is telling Timothy is that no one gets away with anything. Like, this should be really comforting to us. When, when things go wrong in our lives at the, at the actions of other people. Like, we should be comforted by the fact that God is just. That God is righteous. That one day there will be a reckoning for people who are living their lives however they want to. Seemingly without justice. And then other days, it, it scares me. 
It scares me deeply. Because in my own honesty, I know what I am guilty of. I know what I am guilty of. And maybe my sins aren't so obvious. So when my sins aren't obvious, I, I smugly comfort myself. I comfort myself in self-righteousness because, because I'm not like those people whose sins are obvious. Or I've convinced myself that I have no sin because no one else can see it. I wonder for how many of you that is true. And again, with whom did you identify in this story? We call this story the prodigal son, which I think is an interesting title for, for the story. Whom do you identify with? I think for a long time I identified myself as the younger son. And there's probably some truth to that. Guilty of obvious sins. Sins and wrongdoings that other people could clearly see. And I've walked away from Christ and then in some moment of clarity I wake up and I go home and God is running towards me, open-armed, filled with mercy. And I think the reason that I see myself often as the younger son, and probably you do, is because we see ourselves as the noble recipient of grace. We see ourselves in this place of, like, we've had an awakening upon our own. So we're going to go and receive mercy from God. So we are the younger son. But are we the father? There are two other characters in the story. Are we the father? Are we the giver of grace? Are we the older brother? The one who brings judgment upon the younger brother and upon the father for offering mercy. I think one of the ways that we can know who we really are in the story is by looking at our response to the sinfulness of other people. This gives us a window into our own hearts and our own souls. When we see the sinfulness of other people, how do we respond? One of the ministries that, that we have here at Westway Christian Church is called Embrace Grace. And I know we've talked about it a lot, and we're going to continue to talk about it a lot because, because it's an opportunity for us to reach people in our community who, who are in need, and who may not know who Jesus is. And this is, this is the heartbeat of God, is to reach out to people who've made a mess of their lives and need to receive mercy and grace from God. This is God's heartbeat. And back in January, when we were talking, um, we had on the 19th of January... We gave a good portion of our time over to what was happening in Embrace Grace. A few days later, in, in our Tuesday night small group, we were talking about Embrace Grace. And someone who, who was both new to our small group and new to Westway Christian Church told me how as the different Embrace Grace leaders were speaking on that given Sunday, she heard from around her, this person heard little whispers about how we could honor what is dishonorable. 
This person heard people talking. Why, why would we allow those women to speak? Are we glorifying their sin? Why, why would we do this? And this is someone new to our church body. And as I have been, as I said, reflecting on these texts over the past several weeks, I find it's really interesting how the obvious sins of other people bring out the hidden sins within us. Isn't it interesting how the obvious sins of other people bring out our own hidden sins? In fact, as I talk about this and as I wrote this, I've really had to manage my own spirit in the middle of this because as I heard that on that Tuesday night and as I've reflected on it ever since, I feel my own inner judge, jury, and executioner starting to ramp up within my soul because it's my tendency, too, to pass judgment on those people who would show no judgment. See, this is when we have to guard our own hearts. This is when we have to check our own sinful attitudes and our own sinful mindsets and remember what God has done for us. This is when, when we remember that the list of sins in 1 Timothy chapter 1 is immediately followed by a detailed explanation of how God showed the Apostle Paul mercy before he became a Christian. Saul was someone who persecuted Christians. Saul was someone who blasphemed God. And these are things like if we would, we would categorize in our own sinfulness, we would categorize those sins as not only obvious, but particularly grievous, wouldn't we? People who persecute other Christians, people who blaspheme God, like that would probably move to the top of our list. Paul was an outward enemy of God, and God had mercy on him so that he could be an example of God's patience. It was through this same patience that other people realized that they could believe in God, that they could find mercy in Christ, that they could receive eternal life through Jesus. I have to wonder for us, can we show patience to those who don't yet know God? Can we show love and mercy? And yes, share truth, but can we love others who don't know God? Can we trust that the same God who saved Paul is the same God currently at work in Scott's Bluff? Are they the same God? Can we not be the same people? Because whether our sins are obvious or whether they're covered up, they're sins and they need to be dealt with by God. What does this mean? What does that look like for God to deal with our sins? Well, our role and our responsibility in that is confession and repentance. We acknowledge our sin before God. And if necessary, we acknowledge our sin before man. And then we actively pursue a life of holiness. 
What this looks like is a constant and persistent death to self attitude that's required for new life. When we, when we deny our sinful nature, when we refuse to give in to our sinful nature, the Holy Spirit makes us new, makes us different. And what we're really doing in this moment, when we confess our sins before God, we are trusting in God's righteousness and in his judgment. We are going to him when we admit our sin. We're trusting that he is good. We're trusting that he is going to treat us in a way that is consistent with his nature and character. We're trusting that God is going to give us mercy when we don't deserve it. I think some of us, at least maybe this is just me, I've been, I've been a Christian for 25, 24 years now. And maybe this is just me. But the more I learn about who God is, the more I grow in my relationship of him, the more I spend time in his word, the more I spend time in his prayer, or in prayer, the more I spend time in relationship with other believers the more I've just become aware of my own sinfulness. The more I become aware of things that are so deeply rooted and so deeply hidden in my own heart and soul. And I just want to get rid of that. And when that awareness comes, that conviction comes, you shouldn't flee from it. We shouldn't be afraid of what we're going to find when we eventually, finally, turn this sin over to God. See, this discomfort is a gift from God because he's drawing us nearer to him through it. This conviction that some of us feel is a gift because it's God revealing himself to us. He's telling us what's wrong with our lives. He's telling us about what is separating us from him. And this honesty is God's righteous judgment upon us. And his purpose in revealing our sin is not merely that we would just feel bad and not ever do anything about it. His purpose for revealing to us our sin is not that we would degenerate into these woe-is-me feelings and retreat inside of ourselves. His purpose for revealing our sin to us is that we would flee to him for mercy and grace and kindness and love. And if you are in that place where you're living in the light of your sin, where God has revealed it to you, the right response is repentance and trust in him. Because he's righteous and he's good. And as I've said over the past few weeks, there's a spiritual battle that we are, each one of us, facing. And that's what's going on. When we feel that tension and, and we don't want to confess it to God, we don't want to talk, it to talk about it with other people, that's evidence of a spiritual battle taking place. Because the right thing to do is to confess our sin before God. That's the right thing to do. And as necessary, perhaps the right thing to do is to confess that to other people. See, this is what God has for us. 
And I think there are so many times where, where we love our own sin more than we love what God has offered us in repentance. I think God is patiently judging us all the time. And I don't mean that in the way that a lot of us think about God's judgment. I don't mean that in the way that a lot of us think about judgment in 2020. I mean God is patiently judging our hearts. He's revealing to us what's right and what's wrong. And he's revealing to us the reality of the choice that we have when we are confronted by our sin. See, in God's kindness, what if he were offering judgment to us right now? What if this was yet another opportunity in a string of opportunities, in a series of opportunities to come clean before God? Wouldn't that be an awesome judgment for us that God is giving us yet another opportunity to be holy and to be his. And this is what I think is the best news, is that this reckoning has already taken place. This final judgment for sin has already taken place. What if the punishment that's owed to me and owed to you has been willingly accepted by someone else? What if that judgment owed us has already been taken care of? What if this other person, and that's other with a capital O, named Jesus, what if he's borne this punishment not just for you but for me? What if the free gift of God is eternal life because of what Jesus did on the cross for us? Do you know what freedom we would have Do you know how much we could experience when we place our comfort and our hope in who God is? How much trust we would have in what he's done? What joy we would find? Because whether our sins are obvious or hidden, there's freedom to be had from them. It's all coming out in the end. We've talked about this so many times. We talked about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all coming out in the end. All of our sins, obvious or hidden, they're going to be revealed. And through Jesus, he's provided a way to fix it, to deal with that. And I really think this this is the hope found in the next verse, in verse 25. And this was... As much as I had to wrap my mind around verse 24, it was really working through verse 25. I want you to follow along. In the same way, the good deeds of of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. I think there are some people in this room whose spiritual life is so obvious and so joy-filled. Maybe you look at them and you interact with them and you just feel like the peace and the love and the comfort and the mercy and the grace that just like exudes off of them because it's so obvious. And then there's this little insidious thing that happens when we look at people like that. Don't we consider them and 
wish that we were at that point? Have you ever said anything like, I wish I had faith like that person? Have you ever said anything like, I wish I read the Bible like that person? I wish I prayed like that person. See, that last part of verse 25 is for you. God is at work. It's a good deed that's being done in secret, below the surface. And it's not obvious yet, but God is at work in you. Be patient in what God is doing. Trust. And I would say that there's, on one hand, there's nothing inherently wrong with like, I wish I knew how to read the Bible better, right? Because I wish I knew how to read the Bible better. I have spiritual disciplines that I wish I were more faithful at. But we shouldn't quickly go to a place of of ranking people according to their spirituality. Because God is at work, and as I I thought about this text, I was reminded of Romans chapter 7. I'm just going to read part of Romans 7 to you, beginning at verse 14. I want to remind you that, that Paul was converted about two years after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. So Paul was converted two years after Jesus left the earth. And 20 years later, so Paul's converted, and 20 years later, I don't know where you think or thought you were going to be 20 years after your conversion. Listen to what Paul says 20 years after his conversion. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Sound familiar? But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Paul, you've been a Christian for 20 years. You haven't figured this out yet? I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does this. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me. That is the war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin, to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Have any of you ever felt that? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And verse 25 is the most important verse. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Can you take comfort in what Paul is saying here? I have 
So as I said, 23 to 25 years is how long I've been a Christian. It's really easy for me to fall into this space. And this is Paul. So can you give yourselves a break? Can you go to God with mercy and re- or for mercy and receive grace from him? Can you find satisfaction in the work that God is doing? See, there are some people in this room today who aren't, who are not even Christians. And who do we think we are to look down upon them? By what right do we have to judge? Some of us have been Christians for more than 20 years and we judge ourselves harshly. What would it be like for us to give other people a break? This isn't about toleration. It's not about acceptance of sin. It has everything to do with what God has done and what he's doing in our life. See, the Holy Spirit is the convictor of sin. I don't want you to do a single thing today based on anything I'm saying. I want you to respond to what God is saying to you. I want you to act differently because of what God is doing in your life. I think there are three types of people in the room today. I think there are younger brothers and younger sisters in here. And your sin is obvious. That's, that's the truth of the younger brother. Your sin is obvious. You know what God has offered you, and you've run away from home, and you've just filled up on everything that you know will never fill you. You'll never be satisfied it, by it. You've wasted everything you've ever been given. And if you've ever worked in a hog yard, I'm just going to say this, you're sitting in a pile of crap because that's what it is. Your life is this pile of garbage. And it's obvious. And you want to go home, but you are so concerned about the reception that you are going to receive at home. You are so concerned about the reception you're going to receive when you walk into a church building on Sunday morning. What are people going to say? What are people going to think? What am I supposed to do? And you start to bargain with God. If you're that younger son, confess and repent. Go home to God. This is what it means for us to boldly approach the throne of God and receive mercy and grace. And when you do that, it will, you will feel so free You will feel so hope-filled. You'll feel so joyful. Because God knows anyway. And you're admitting to him who you really are. I think there are also some older brothers and older sisters in our room today. You've worked your entire life to be faithful. You've read your Bible you prayed prayers. You've never missed the 1015, not even on Coronavirus Sunday. Right? You've been so incredibly faithful. You've never let a drop of alcohol cross your lips. 
You've dressed nicely each and every Sunday, and your reputation is unparalleled. And here's the thing about the older brother. You can't believe we'd let these sinners in this place. Your inner sin, your inner anger, and your inner rage is coming out. And to the older brothers and older sisters in the room, I would say you need to repent of that. I love you. You need to repent of that. You need to confess that sin to God. Because much like the younger brother, that sin is coming out. God knows it's only a matter of time. And some of it already is. Like that's how, that's how when I have a conversation with someone in my small group and they tell me these things, that's your sin becoming obvious. God wants older brothers and older sisters to confess as well. And then the fathers and the mothers in the room, those who run gracefully to people in the midst of their obvious sins and their hidden ones, and instead of playing judge, jury, and executioner, they offer forgiveness. They offer mercy. They throw a party. And see, this is, this is who our community needs to experience, is the love of the Father. This is what our community needs to see among Christians, not just at Westway Christian Church, but Christians all over Scottsbluff County. This is what they need to see is a father who runs to them, not hiding from them, not condemning them for their sin, but loving them because, because they don't... There are some people in our community that have never been to a church before. They've never heard the gospel. And I can't wrap my mind around why we would expect people who don't know who Jesus is to act like they know him makes no sense. So as you wrestle with who you are today, as that gets revealed to you, I would encourage you to take it to God. To pursue the life of transformation that you have received and then demonstrate that to other people. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you knowing that you know everything about us. There is nothing hidden from you. You know our obvious sins and you know our hidden sins. And your response to each of them is the same. You want us to receive forgiveness. You want us to not do them. You want to proclaim truth to us. You want to deal with our sin. I ask God that, that we would exhibit courage in getting rid of our sin. That we would be honest about our sinfulness. 
that we would see how you are revealing it to us, that we would not desire to hide or to cover up or to pretend like there is no sin within us, but that we would bring it to you, our loving Father who is running towards us, who's excited to see us, is thankful for us, and desiring to be in relationship with us. It's in your son's name that we pray.